Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Support for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education, working to prepare the next generation of teachers, counselors, and educational leaders through online graduate degrees and hybrid doctoral programs. Details at education.olemiss.edu. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Tuesday, May 30th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, will the much-anticipated Kemper County Energy Facility be fully operational tomorrow, or will the most expensive electric power plant in the world face another delay? Help for the consumer, what you need to know to navigate the insurance and auto repair industries after an accident. On Everyday Tech, find out if your gaming console has any other useful functions. And Mississippi's African-American achievers are being included in a national historical collection. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Another delay is possible as the long-awaited Kemper County Energy Facility faces its deadline. Mississippi Power is scheduled to have the -the state-of-the-art facility up and running by tomorrow, but it's still unclear if the $7.3 billion plant will be up and fully functioning. The startup of the clean coal technology side of the plant coincides with the company's plan to ask the state's Public Service Commission to approve a rate increase for users to cover its costs. The rate case must be filed by June 3rd. Brandon Presley is the Northern District Commissioner for the State Public Service Commission. He tells MPB's Mark Rigsby the plant has to be online to be considered for the rate increase. You know, obviously, uh, the operation of the plant is central as to uh, any cost that we look at. And uh, the plant's got to be up and running. I think that common sense tells you that the operation of the plant is central to whether or not consumers or ratepayers, and really all Mississippians, because uh, whether it be a rate increase that goes into effect straight to the Mississippi Power Company customers or government buildings, universities, community college, all of which taxpayers across Mississippi pay for, that's something that's got to be considered. And so we'll look at it at that time. As you know, I voted against... Uh, the initial permit of this plant back seven years ago now uh, and have consistently had my high doubts as to the technology and the wisdom of the commission at that time giving it a green light. Now, we're in a different position now because obviously there's a rate case to be filed and there is this May 31st uh, deadline. But, you know, the truth of the matter is, as well as it should be, uh, this burden's on the power company. They've got to get this plant up and running. They've got to get this plant producing power as they said it would. And uh, we'll look at it at that time. We obviously have to look at the filings that they make. And and, uh, when that comes in in the early part of June, we'll do that. And I'm sure at that time, you know, depending upon what's filed before us and the action the commission elects to take, uh, we'll have more to say about it then. But as I said, we're not in a wait-and-see mode as far as we're continuing to monitor the plant. We've got 
uh, folks on the ground looking at every aspect of that, reporting back to the commission. We've got sets of experts in place ready to go for this case. Uh, and so we're, we're ready to get in there and do our job, and our job is to protect the public interest and to assure that Mississippians are protected and that we rule in this case in a manner that's consistent with the public interest. But we're in a strange position in that the plant is not up and running yet, uh, and we will know obviously more next week as to whether or not the company can meet that deadline. State Public Service Commissioner Brandon Presley, thanks for being on Mississippi Edition. We do appreciate your time. Thank you, and thank you for allowing us to talk about this issue. Central District Commissioner Cecil Brown tells our Mark Rigsby he's had mixed feelings about asking taxpayers to pay for the mistakes of the company. I've had mixed feelings about the whole situation from the beginning, but it's something we inherited. I've always said it's my position that I don't want the ratepayers to pay for the mistakes that the company made. And I think they made a lot of mistakes from the planning process all the way through the construction process. Uh, They continue to delay commercial operation date. They continue to say it's going to be next month, next month, next month. It hasn't happened. That's very frustrating. Costs continue to escalate, even though they say some portion of the costs are capped and the ratepayers won't pay for it. It's a very complicated issue, and I'm very disappointed with it. But I'm trying to keep my gut out of this and say, okay, what are the facts and what is the law and what discretion do we have on this? Uh, I'm trying to be rational about this in my vote. I'm one of three votes, and it's very complicated. It involves not just the fate of the ratepayers, although that's, in my mind, the biggest consideration. You've also got the consideration of what happens to the company itself, what happens to its employees. I'm not interested in what happens to Southern Company. Southern Company is a parent company, Mississippi Power Company. But I am concerned about what may happen to Mississippi Power Company uh, because it supplies 186,000 retail customers with power. It also supplies a substantial amount of power to another couple of hundred thousand people through the Electric Power Association. So whatever decision we make could have a ripple effect throughout most of the state of Mississippi. That's something we've got to consider. Do you think that at some point in the distant or near past that the company should have cut its losses? I don't know how they made their decision to go forward. Just looking at the numbers, it would seem at some point they would do that. But these are rational people. This is a big company. They've got a lot of experts, a lot of engineers and lawyers. Uh, Somebody made the decision to continue with this. And no matter what decision we make, they're going to lose a lot of money on this. Already have written off more than $2 billion on this plant. So it's a loser for them any way they go. Uh, I can't really sit here and judge what they did from a commission standpoint. That's really not something we have to be concerned with. What we have to be concerned with is what happens when they file and what happens going forward. At this point, uh, the ratepayers, their customers, are paying for the portion of the plant that is running on natural gas and seems to be functioning well according to our monitors that we have over there. So the decision we have to make is looking forward at this point and not looking back. That's kind of the way I've got to go about it. Public Service Commissioner Cecil Brown, thanks for being on Mississippi Edition. Thank you very much. Appreciate you having me. In a written statement, Mississippi Power spokesman Jeff Shepard says the company continues to work on site for the May 31st startup. Coming up, a new consumer guide provides Mississippians with the do's and don'ts of negotiating with insurance companies and auto body repair shops. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts of your favorite MPB Think Radio programs are available now. With any podcast app, you can search, subscribe, and never miss a second of MPB Think Radio. 
This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippians have new guidance on dealing with auto insurance companies and body shops. Attorney General Jim Hood announced the release of the Consumer's Guide to Insurance and Auto Body Repair on Thursday. The resource is available to help people negotiate with and navigate the relationship between the collision repair and insurance industry. The Mississippi Attorney General's Office convened the Mississippi Auto Repair Task Force in August 2016. The Consumer's Guide addresses what consumers should expect, how to choose a shop, and the different types of repair costs and warranties. Thomas Rogers is the owner of Roy Rogers Body Shop in Laurel. He tells MPB's Desiree Frazier why he became a part of the task force. Most consumers don't know they have any rights. They think that whatever the insurance industry tells them is what they have to do. And I'm hoping that this will let people know and let the consumers know that they have rights and that they can stand up for themselves without it creating a problem. Most consumers just think they have to do whatever the insurance industry tells them to do, and that's not necessarily so. Give us an example of an experience that you've had that crystallizes this for us. Well, I had a man several weeks ago that the insurance industry told him that his vehicle was a total, and uh, I explained to him what his policy, how his policy reads, and he stood up for himself, which most people won't do, and told the insurance company that he did not need his truck total and that the price they were trying to total it out was not correct and that the uh, values they had given him were not correct, that he had checked everything out and that they needed to reevaluate everything. And, of course, he couldn't do anything with that person, so he went up to a next supervisor. And after the fourth supervisor, he finally got a hold of somebody that would listen to him, and they agreed with him, and we repaired his truck. So he but had to be people, very persistent. He had to be persistent, but most people will not stand up for themselves. They don't think they have any rights. I explained to him all of his rights and explained to him about how his policy read and how that binding contract, what all it meant. And he stood up for himself, and he, he got his vehicle fixed. Is it a problem with folks feeling that they're not getting their money's worth in terms of repairs or that the repairs aren't up to snuff? To me, the biggest concern are is that the, sometimes the insurance industry does not want to pay to do proper repairs. They want you to do it the old way. And consumers don't know the difference. They have to leave it up to the shop to tell them what's right and wrong. And uh, there's a lot of shops that won't do that because they're scared of losing a job. I'm working for my customer. I'm not working for the insurance industry. I want my customer to be right. I want his car to be right. I want him to be safe. And uh, a lot of people don't know about cars, and they need to have someone they can depend on. How will this manual help folks? It explains pretty well about what their rights are and the things to look for and the things to ask for. The new cars today have so much technology built into them. There's some of these cars have as many as 20 computers in them that have to all work together to make sure that all the safety systems in the cars work. Some of these cars today have more lines of computer code than a 747 does. They're just not something you can go beat and bang on and throw back on the road because it looks good. There's lots of safety issues in them that have to be addressed, and not the insurance industry doesn't always want to pay for what it takes to address all these issues. Thank you for what you are contributing to keep Mississippians safer on the roads. Thank you for looking at these issues and helping us spread the word. Insurance Commissioner Mike Cheney tells MPB's Desiree Frazier the role of the Department of Insurance in the process. The Department of Insurance regularly addresses a variety of consumer complaints related to auto insurance claims. We were invited by the Attorney General to be part of his study group. Uh, I'm not part of his press release, 
because we have, for the last 25 years, had statutory protections in place governing insurance claims, and if we handle those um, claims that come into us or our complaints under that 25-year-old law, and it works very well. We have a summary and explanation of these protections can be found on our website, www.mid.ms.gov. So why I, as insurance commissioner, do not regulate automobile body shops, the department has been, remains available to assist consumers and body shops in some cases, and insurers when issues arise uh, surrounding claims or repair their automobile that's been on the wreck. There's a concern that people aren't getting the information they need, that um, insurance companies tend to steer them to the cheapest option. Well, I would dispute that fact, that, uh, what you just said. Uh, in all the cases where someone has been accused in the insurance industry of steering the consumer to a particular shop, uh, the industry has the right to say uh, you can go get two bids or you go to the shop of your choice. Uh, we encourage you to try to get two bids. But in all the cases that we've looked at, not one single case of steering has been proven. And we've worked with the Attorney General over the last three years to prove that. And I don't know where this keeps coming up. It's in ads for the body shops. Not all body shops run these ads, but some do, saying that this steering. Consumers should know that they have rights when they go to a consumer to get the car fixed at a body shop. And they ought to be careful because sometimes they're told things that are not true. Are there body shops that aren't equipped to fix specific cars and it leads to other issues? There are some body shops that may tell you they can fix, say, an aluminum body of an automobile like a Ford pickup truck. They may not be qualified and they do it anyway, but I do not regulate that as insurance commissioner. That falls under the attorney general's responsibilities. I don't regulate body shops. I regulate insurance companies, and we don't try to regulate body shops, but if consumer has a claim because it's improperly repaired by the body shop, they should take it to the attorney general and let him go after the body shops. I have no authority to do that. Mr. Cheney, thank you so much for clarifying this issue for us. We appreciate it. Thank you. The Consumer Guide is on the attorney general's website. Coming up, a national organization is recording stories of the black experience in Mississippi. That's after Everyday Tech. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This is Everyday Tech on Mississippi Edition. I'm Sherita Brent with Jeremy Thompson and Louis Couture. This morning we're going to be talking about gaming systems and the multi-uses of gaming systems. Good morning to you guys. Good morning. I know that both of you guys are gaming enthusiasts. So, Jeremy, which gaming systems do you have? I have a PlayStation 4, but uh, recently I got the uh, Nintendo Switch. And that's the new one from Nintendo that's kind of like a tablet that you can play it like with the controller like up against using your TV. But you can also bring it with you wherever you go. So it has that convenience of portability. There's not a whole lot out for it right now. So I'm still kind of like lukewarm on how I feel about it. But playing the new Zelda on it was really fun. What about you, Wilts? Which gaming systems do you or your children have? I'm an Xbox One, Xbox 360 kind of gamer. And then to show my age, I've actually still got an old Nintendo and an old Atari around. So <laughs> still kind of fire those things up every now and then. You can actually run some of those old school games. And my kids kind of get a kick out of those, too. We're on the other side of the fence with Jeremy there. So what is that about? I, I, sometimes I'm in a mall and I see they have the old Nintendo. Are some of those games starting to come back? Is there an issue with the newer, modern ones? Why are they even bringing back the old ones? 
I think it's just the uh, the pure the fun factor. Something I noticed in talking like with my son's 16, so him and a lot of the boys he runs with, a lot of them are all video gamers. And just the pure fun of some of those older games. I mean, yeah, the graphics aren't nearly as high tech, but it, it's just enjoyable. The same thing that kind of you know probably drew me and and Jeremy to them in the beginning was just the fun factor is what they're really looking for. Oh, definitely. And also, from an early age, I learned about glitches in the original Super Mario, where there was the minus one world where you had to jump through the pipes, but there was like a certain way you had to do it to make the game glitch. That kind of made me fall in love with the whole software side of things, like, hey, you can make it do things it's not supposed to do. It was, it was my first experience with hacking, you might say. Interesting. So one thing that I've noticed is with these different gaming systems, they do much more than just gaming. You can watch Netflix and have apps on them. Could you talk about some of the different uses of gaming systems outside of gaming? Yeah, really. They've kind of moved their way from being off in the game room into getting more into the main family room. And like you mentioned, there's a lot of apps that are built into them. A lot of the ones that we talk about with smart TVs like your Netflix and Hulu's. For example, I think one thing I've liked is the new systems. You can actually run your cable boxes through them, and not only are you able to control your games onto them, but they really want to be that one-stop shop, and they'll control your movies. They'll control your TV for you. They'll even give you Internet browsing access and and access to additional content that may be more game-related and and some of that. So really they're becoming a, a central piece of the entertainment system. I'm mostly the same way I, I use it for uh, the entertainment. Ours was more for Netflix and Amazon as well. But you can also use it to communicate with people through Skype. If two people have the cameras and all, they can communicate with those. You can video chat. You can also just chat by voice. And you can also use it to send messages and different things like that. How do gaming systems affect your data packages? Do they use a lot of data? When it comes to your data, like if you're downloading your games and like even like the game comes on a disc now, but when you put the disc in, it's going to go out and it's going to download updates for it. That can get pretty data heavy. So, yeah, it's, it's better to have a broadband connection or something like that. You don't really want to do it over cellular. That's always been one of the big complaints of the house before when we had some slower Internet, and that was that it just took so long to get some of the content. As Jeremy mentioned, you're able to do video chatting and audio chatting across this as part of that gaming experience. Uh, for example, one of the guys that I play pretty heavily with online actually lives in Liverpool, England. So we're chatting a lot. So there is a pretty good data consumption that goes along with that Typically, people who are running things like your, your HughesNet, your satellite Internet, sometimes report they don't nearly have as good of a gaming experience. So it is something you want to look into. Fortunately, a lot of these systems now are built to where they can actually tell you. You can run some diagnostics with them that will help you to determine if your, your speeds are fast enough to be able to do all those functions. We'll talk a little bit more about gaming on Everyday Tech, the show, this coming Wednesday at 10. You can always send us an email to everydaytech at mpbonline.org. For Wills Couture and Jeremy Thompson, I'm Sharita Brent. This is Everyday Tech on Mississippi Edition. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. 
A national organization is highlighting the accomplishments of African-Americans in Mississippi. The History Makers is the nation's largest African-American video oral history collection. The group is collecting and preserving the stories of prominent African-Americans from the period of slavery into present day. Juliana Richardson is the founder and executive director of the History Makers. Randall Pinkston is one of the History Makers from Mississippi. They tell MPB's Desiree Frazier, the goal of the archive. The goal was to document the black experience with the first voice. And so for 17 years, you have had this archive. We're a very serious archive. We're a very advanced archive. We have 9,000 hours that's been documented over the 17-year period in 180 cities and towns. So we have a website that is sort of viewed as a black Wikipedia. So behind the scenes, we've been working on indexing this collection with the help of Carnegie Mellon University. The only attempt to record the black experience until we came along was the WPA slave narratives. And there were 2,300 former slaves interviewed between the years of 1936 and 38. Um, They were old when they were interviewed and young when slavery ended. But that's 19th century documentation. There have been virtually no attempt to record the 20th century and as we move forward, the 21st century. The beauty of things is that now in the Library of Congress are the stories of the formerly enslaved and the stories of the descendants of the formerly enslaved under one roof. I went into this project thinking that maybe there would not be interest in my lifetime. But pretty quickly, we were getting calls from the BBC, DreamWorks, um, Lithuania, I mean, you know, all over. We're here because Randall Pinkston, who's um, here with Which I was going to get to next because he's from Mississippi. He's from Mississippi. A longtime broadcaster with an illustrious career. Yeah, through my friends that I have maintained contact with, we've been able to find people who will be very interested in what Dr. Richardson is talking about. I so think this one, is one of the places that you have never come to. Right, no, never right. come to. Never and, come to Mississippi. And yeah. think about that. How, I want to say crazy. Mississippi. How, how crazy is that, right? I mean, we have lots of Mississippi stories, but we had not been here. Well, one of the things that I heard you talk about is how you want people to receive this information. You have a website. You can become a member. You can get access to the archives. And she's also trying to get universities, colleges. She's trying to get subscribers. Now, this is video. This is video. Is there audio? Yes. There's video and audio. And transcripts. But ultimately, the goal here is to tell the stories of African Americans as far back as you can go up to as current as you can go and get as many uh, people involved and so you can get more stories. That's right. So, well, you can see what people were doing in the legal arena. They were doing in education and in business and in, you know, music and arts, you know, so we have a more diversified story. You and know, then have children yeah. tap into That's right. this. That's right. The, there were a lot of, of important people, events and places that occurred right here in Mississippi. I was just talking about Jackson, but the Delta. I mean, we all know about B.B. King, but that he's one of many. People are going to marvel at these parents that raised children in a very hostile environment where the children totally felt loved, were totally nurtured, were totally prepared to go out into a segregated society and survive and thrive. I mean, 
look at how many communities are under siege and how the story of the black Southern experience could be freeing, healing, and an example for others that are under that kind of siege. We appreciate you. Juliana Richardson and Randall Pinkston, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. You can find more information on The History Makers at thehistorymakers.com. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Money Talks. Then at 10 o'clock, it's In Legal Terms. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy. Did you miss part of the show today? Find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org or by downloading the MPB Public Media app from the Apple or Google Play stores. I'm Karen Brown, inviting you to join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition. It's only on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education, working to prepare the next generation of teachers, counselors, and educational leaders through online graduate degrees and hybrid doctoral programs. Details at education.olemiss.edu.